Hi there, Pastor Austin Vondracek here. Thank you for joining us at Rosewood Church Online. My prayer for you is that this message will be used by God to bless, teach, and challenge you today. And whether you call Rosewood home and are catching up on a past message, or you're one of our many long-distance partners who tune in every week, would you consider giving back to support the ministries and missions of Rosewood Church? You can do so easily through our website, rosewoodchurch.org. And if you're listening and you're local to the West Michigan area, we would love to have you in person when the time is right for you. Again, I pray this blesses you and helps you grow in your love of Jesus Christ. Let's get into it today. Uh, this is the third and final message of our series called The Content Life. Um, and, and if you've been around, you know this, but if you haven't, just kind of a quick refresher. Uh, the, the contentment is a, a gift that God gives to us. Everyone who is in Christ is offered this gift of contentment, this, this peace with the presence and the provision of God. Uh, the thing is, not all of us necessarily receive this gift or even are aware that it is offered to us or how to take hold of it. And so this series has been dedicated to three ways to take hold of this gift of grace that God has given us. This is not about earning contentment because that's, it's a gift of grace. You don't earn gifts. Um, it is something that's given to us. And so we've looked at generosity. That was two weeks ago. Uh, last week, we looked at uh, simplicity. And this week, we are going to look at solitude. Um, now, solitude, what's kind of interesting is thinking at, back about uh, kind of life and, and culture and, and you know, what it's like for, for so many of us. Uh, more than I can ever remember, there's kind of this widespread craving for solitude in some form. I mean, I have had more conversations with people who just like, who say like, I know they're joking, but I also know they're kind of not, that like wish they could move to a place like this. Like just this quiet, sim- some of you nodding your heads right now. You're like, I wish I could, right? Because, because let's face it, um, we all, you all live, we all live in a pressure cooker of a world right now, okay? This is, these are unprecedented times. Um, This is a social uh, pressure cooker, a political pressure cooker. Um, This is, whether you realize it or not, the stresses that exist for all of us affect you. And for some, uh, these extraordinary circumstances have even kind of called, like, tried to get us to do extraordinary means to solve the issue. In fact, it's interesting. You can look at the market to understand that solitude is something that so many people are seeking. Uh, the the, um, the, the uh, sale of, of things and, and um, homes and such that help to promote solitude has skyrocketed in the last three years. Now, you might say, well, we were all in lockdown. We were all seeking, like, we, all we had was solitude in a way, so we were trying to adjust to that. The thing is, even when lockdowns end in, in states, including Michigan, the sale of, of things geared towards um, engaging in solitary activities still kept going up even after lockdown was over. Now, those things are starting to normalize and such, uh, but still it was present and still stronger than it was before. We, found, we saw this, this fascinating um, uh, rearranging of how people lived. For one of the first times, we started to see more people want to move from cities out into the country and actually do it than to move from, from out in the country in rural areas 
into cities. We saw a bit of a, of a reversal. And so, and again, I think that just empirically, so many of us uh, have experienced uh, just this desire for a little bit more solitude, not necessarily as a Christian discipline, but at least some sort of, of even isolation or, or escapism. Um, and so they, we're, we're going to talk about those times when our souls crave separation from the noise and the crowds and, and how these periods of solitude, again, not escapism, not isolation, but solitude as a spiritual discipline can help us to grow in our faith and also to uh, help the communities like Rosewood or like the church that you're a part of uh, grow in faith as well. And so let's just start with this on a basic level, level and this is, uh, this, is, this is good for anything here. Uh, if you want to be more like Jesus, consider doing more of what Jesus did, okay? Just a great rule of thumb. You want to be more like Jesus, do more of what Jesus did. And Jesus practiced solitude commonly. I'm just going to whip through like four of these, but we're going to get into more as we go. Uh, Mark 1.35 says, very early in the morning while it was dark, Jesus got up, left the house, went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Okay, how about Luke 4? Luke 4 says, at daybreak, Jesus went out into a solitary place. The people were looking for him, and they tried to keep him from leaving them. Okay, next one, Matthew 14. After he had dismissed them, he went up onto a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone. Okay, now Matthew 4, it says that when Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, even that experience from Matthew 4 was an, ex- was an experience in solitude. So now with, with Jesus as our model and the other authors of Scripture as our guides, uh, we are, we're going to look at solitude in, in three parts today. So why it improves our contentment with God, uh, why it improves our, or why it benefits others, rather, and how to exercise solitude in your real life, okay? So first one, solitude improves your contentment with God. Um, I think sometimes when we think about solitude um, or silence, a lot of times if you, if you read about solitude, you'll find that solitude and silence are, are often used in the, same, in the same way, but solitude doesn't always always means silence. Though if you're in solitude, who are you talking to? Okay, so that's why they kind of go together, right? Uh, but, but I think sometimes when we think about solitude, the mental imagery that we have in our mind is like a monk, right? With like long beard, because apparently in solitude you don't have razors. You just like, you know, they're just, they're isolated, they're quiet, and they have a long beard, okay? Now, I, I, if that's your mental image or something like that, I want to just kind of clear that out, and I want to think about this from a little bit different point. When you think of solitude as a Christian discipline, I want you to instead think of a, think of a couple, may, maybe you, but think of a couple that is exhausted and feeling disconnected, okay? Maybe you may very well love that person that you feel disconnected from, right? Because sometimes we love people and we feel disconnected from them. But you are exhausted, you're disconnected, and you seek a way to reinvigorate that connection. And so what do you do? Like if it's a couple, what do you do? You get a babysitter, right? You find a way, you know, manage, somebody else manage the kids, we're going on a date night, right? Something like that. Or even like a weekend away or a vacation or, or something where you can reconnect. And if successful, uh, you feel you have grown in love and care and connection with that one whom you love. So I think it's helpful to think of solitude then in a similar way with God. 
As Paul says in Colossians, he says, set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. Because we all know that the earthly things, like our schedules, our kids, our parents, our families in general, our hobbies, our you know, work, everything. Uh, everything kind of calls us out of the headspace of the things above and calls us back down to earth. Back down to all of the pressures that make up every single day. All of the urgent things below that kind of pull your gaze down towards your everyday, everyday life. Now, just kind of like in the same way as like if you're in a room full of voices, it's hard to pick out one voice. Well, the things of the earth, the, 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 all the earthly things, again, not bad things, but you know, your schedule and the people who rely on you and all of that, th those voices can sometimes shout so loud that it can be difficult to make out the voice of God in our life, in part because it's just so much going on, those urgent, urgent things, which is, again is not to say that those urgent things aren't important, right? Um, you need to feed your kids, okay? Hard-hitting facts here at Rosewood. If you have kids, you got to feed them, Right? And that takes time, and that takes energy, and it takes you out. Of, you feel like you're focused on the earth below. Your, uh, your, your, your job, right? Your job takes time. You got to go to class. You got you to clean your house, right? There's, it's just unlimited list, it feels, of things that, that you have to do. And with so many urgent things related to the here and now, it can be very difficult to be able to allocate your time or feel you even can allocate your time uh, to things above. And, and Jesus even experienced this as well, right? We read one of them from, uh, which one was it? From, from Luke 4. Um, in, in Luke 4, it says that Jesus went away to this quiet place, but the crowds were tracking him down. They wanted to spend time with him, which made sense. I mean, he, all the things that he did for them and with them, right? They have competing values. He needs to get away to spend time with his father in heaven through solitude, and they want to spend more time with him. You can't have both. And so Jesus literally is like on the run trying to like hide from, from people, people he loves, mind you, but hide to experience the solitude, to pray, to just be silent before his father. So solitude then is a recentering experience with God. It, it's about reconnection and experiencing the, the peaceful joy of spending unhurried time with a friend. Now again, just this metaphor of, or this imagery of the, of the couple, um, while sometimes it's kind of this emergency thing where you are so just disconnected, you're like, we got to do this. Uh, it, it's, it's healthier to be able to set up a rhythm so that you don't get to critical levels and that you can, can stay to a, a, certain, a certain level. So solitude is not just like a, a life raft uh, during a, a challenging times, but something that can be a regular part of our lives. And again, we'll talk about how it can be regular uh, at the end of the message. Now, for some of you, maybe my extroverted brothers and sisters in Christ here, uh, you might be thinking, um, okay, fair. But can't you also be with God with people, right? Can't the noise and such also be a, a song to the Lord? What about fellowship, okay? To which I would say, yes, and. Because, because uh, solitude and fellowship are kind of like opposite but supporting sides that help to provide, when combined together, a, spirit, a flourishing spiritual life. Uh, Bonhoeffer, the theologian Bonhoeffer said, said, let him who cannot be alone beware of community. Let him who is not in community beware of being alone. Each by itself has profound pitfalls and perils. 
One who wants fellowship without solitude plunges into the void of feelings, of words and feelings. And one who seeks solitude without fellowship perishes in the abyss of vanity, self-infatuation, and despair. So speaking of this, that brings us to the second result of solitude. Solitude benefits others. Okay. Now, before um, earlier, I mentioned this kind of increased desire for people to escape the stresses of ordinary life and live in a more solitary place. But if solid, if solitude, it becomes your life, like it all encompassing just your life, rather than just a part of the spiritual rhythm. What you're doing actually is, is even if you are spending very intentional quality time with the Lord in doing that, through isolating, unfortunately you are also um, putting yourself in a position where you cannot be faithful to God through the testimony of, of scripture. Um, for instance, coming up here are all the one another's. I, I talk about this before. I use this slide over and over again. If you haven't finished writing it down, now you got another opportunity to write all these down, right? Every time this comes up, I just change the color to fit the, the, the series that we're in, right? There are so many one another's in scripture. And, and we can get into the rut as Christians. We're going to talk about this more in, in a few weeks. We get in the rut as Christians where we think that, that, that faithfulness to God is, is like, like Christianity is just this vertical pursuit. It's just you and God. But when you look at scripture, you look at the commands of God, you find that he has such care for how we treat one another, that we are good with God often when we are also good with others. Okay. So we are called to be one another's to one another. And you can't be one another to another person if you are in complete isolation. Okay, we are called to love, care, encourage, and challenge one another towards godliness. And isolation makes that impossible. Um, here's how I learned this in an odd, odd way. Uh, about a little over 10 years ago or so, 10 or 12 years ago, something like that, I had the opportunity to um, go to a, a, a covet, no, covet, convent, convent. Co co <laughs> covet is a group of witches. Um, I went to a convent, which is nuns. Nuns are different from witches. Yeah, yeah. price of admission right there. Um, went to a convent. I went to a convent. And um, it, was a, it was a massive facility and like nobody there. It was fantastic. And uh, huge property, woods everywhere. And, and I know a lot of you, you're like this as well. Like you connect with God through, through nature. It's kind of an important way of, of, of doing that. And that's me. And so the first, I was there for a few days. And the first day I was there, I just like, I just hiked all the trails. Um, I spent all day out in the woods, just, just walking the trails. It was great. But by day two, I had seen everything. So I'm like, well, okay. So I just like went into the woods like, just, just no path, just like, I'm going to go this way. And then I just walked. And uh, I figured, well, we'll just see what I find. May, hopefully nothing, honestly. Just be nice to be out there alone. Well, I found something. Um, I came across this little hut way out. In the, it was, like, somewhat dilapidated. But I found this hut, and there's a person sitting outside the hut. It, I didn't follow a path. I just, like, showed up. And so before I had time to think about how I was far enough away from civilization that no one would hear me scream, I approached him and I just said, hi. And the man who was there, more surprised to see me than I was to see him. Uh, the, the guy there didn't, well, shocked, didn't respond with, with words. Instead, what he, he did, and I, uh, forgive me if I've told this story before, but uh, he, he just opened his mouth and he had a rock in his mouth. Um, now, some of you, you, you already are putting this 
together. But for me, I was thinking, oh my gosh, he's so hungry, he's eating rocks. Uh, he's been out here for so long. So uh, I left and I went back to the, to the convent and I, I talked to a nun because I'm like, you should know that you have a squatter eating rocks like in the woods uh, on your property. And she's like, no, 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 it's, it's not. It's, um, you know, we, we were very aware of this. And she went on to explain that this person was, uh, was living in solitude out there, solitude and silence. And so I got to, t- I mean, she was so gracious with my ignorance and she talked to me a lot about this. But I remember at one point, I, th- I don't know how I said it, but I know that what I thought was like, what a waste. Because here's this person having this intentional time with God in, in, in the woods and uh, with, you know, he had, he had a Bible available and he had books and journals and all that. But like, what a waste. Because here he is communing with God in such an intimate, beautiful way. And I'm sure it's great for him. But like, who's going to ever know the things that God communicates and teaches? So I asked some version of that, and she's like, no, 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 that's, we feel you, we hear you. Uh, and so she wanted to explain that actually the longest you could, you could just rent that place. It was probably like some mechanic who was there on the weekend, right? Like it was just a normal person who was practicing solitude out there, and you could not rent this place longer than seven days just for that reason, so that you would go spend time in solitude with the Lord, and then you would return to your community, your church, your small group, your family, and be able to share what you learn, kind of like a, 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 a sabbatical. So what is learned in solitude is shared for the common good. It does not end just with the person who is experiencing solitude. They become then a messenger for the community around them that they are part of to help to build up the community. Uh, we see this happening with Jesus. Again, Jesus is the, is the, a great model for these things. Uh, Luke 6, Luke 6 verse 12, it says, uh, One of those days Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night in prayer to God goes away, spends time in, in solitude. Um, oh, take that away. Take that away. Go back. Go back. Don't look. Don't look. Don't look. Okay, good. Thank you. Um, uh, 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 because, uh, because at this point now, it's just worth noting, like, um, at this point, Jesus has a whole bunch of followers and fans and, and everybody who's, who's following along with him. Some, like, going for, you know, days and days. Others just, like, kind of making it a day trip to, like, hear Jesus and learn from him and maybe be healed and all those things. Uh, but, uh, when it says disciples, uh, and it will say disciples in the next verse if you read ahead, uh, but when he talks about disciples at this point, it's actually not the 12, it's just all of those followers. So Jesus goes into solitude, and then, now you can put it up, verse 13, it says that when morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them who was also designated as apostles. Now then he goes on, and Luke, Luke tells you uh, who, those, um, who those 12 were. But you can kind of see what's going on, is that Jesus has this important decision to make, and instead of just jumping into it, solitude with God is how he sought the wisdom of God. And if Jesus did it, it's advisable that we do the same. So what if we started to think about our own decision-making and faithfulness through the lens of solitude? Like, as with Jesus, who sought God as plan A through solitude, even just a night, if we thought the same and didn't just jump, how much better decisions would we make as individuals and families and the church? How much more often would we be in line with the Holy Spirit if we chose solitude as the plan A, as Jesus did? So, solitude, sounds good, right? 
<laughs> I mean, sounds good to me. I like, I've always liked it before, before today. But some of you, though, let's just be honest. Some of you are like, yeah, sounds good. Are you going to take care of my kids while I go into the woods for, you know, a week? Right? Like, how do I practice solitude when I still have the rest of my life? When the urgency of the things below are taking me away from the things things above. Well, I want to share with you, uh, we're just going to finish with, with four ways that you can practice uh, solitude um, as, as an individual, okay? Make it an individual experience. It can be something that's done with groups, but again, it's, it gets a little complicated. So we're going to think about it just from the, just from the angle of, of, uh, of individuals, okay? Because I do believe that solitude is accessible to everyone. The thing is, it just might have to change as you change. Uh, before I had kids, I would go up north a few times a year, spend a long weekend in silent solitude, uh, just praying and reading and thinking about kind of next steps in the next ministry season for the church I was at. I would do that a few times a year. Now, guess how many times I've done it since my son was born? Zero, right? Like, not at all, because my life has changed. Some of you, your life, everyone's life is always changing, and some of you, it gets more complicated. Other times, it gets a little less complicated. And so here's here's four that I believe at least one can hit for you that you can use immediately. So here's the first one, intentional retreats. Now, this is what we were, this is the idea of, like, going away. So intentional retreat, this would be a, a, a solitude measured in hours or even days, okay, where you, where you just go away, um, where you're able to do that, and um, you're able to focus on the Lord. Now, I do advise, if you are going to do something like this, plan ahead of time. Um, Even if you can just do it anytime, plan ahead of time. Think about, is there a decision that I'm looking to make? Is there a characteristic of God I want to focus on? Is there a verse that I want to like really kind of meditate on or a story I want to meditate on? Um, Come into it with some direction. God may very well choose your direction, but I just don't want to see you spend this precious time kind of being like, I don't know why I'm, why I'm here, right? So sometimes it's helpful to have some preparation ahead of time when you go into these intentional retreats. Now here's another one, kind of a little bit step down in commitment level. This would be, um, though still quite useful, um, this would be scheduled solitude. So this is basically, um, this would be measuring solitude in like increments of quarter hour or so. Uh, this is where you treat solitude like uh, a, an agenda item, or a, a schedule item in your life. Uh, you, almost like a meeting, you know, you, you look at your, your schedule, you say, this is when it could work for me, so you're able to, to kind of let your schedule be your guide to a certain degree, but then you put it in, and here's the thing, you got to stick with it, because if you're willing to just break that commitment, uh, then it's really no use. It still takes your own discipline to, to be able to engage with this. Okay, third one, uh, surprise solitude. Now, this is also, the Puritans gave this a, a language, they called it improving your time, which is to say that when you have sometimes seconds or even just a couple minutes, you can harness that time to be a time of solitude anywhere you are. So as a rule of thumb, instead of just taking out your phone to waste time, that's an example of surprise solitude. Puritans called it, again, improving your time, which I think is beautiful because it, it means like your ordinary time, the ordinary things that happen to you and the little breaks that you have in your life, you know, you've got like a couple minutes and you're like, I don't have time to start this, but I also am done with that. 
this, that's a great opportunity for surprise solitude. Waiting for a train. Wait, anytime you're waiting are excellent opportunities to be able to practice intentional time with God. Kind of like your own retreat right where you're sitting. Now it takes a little time because you're not always going to be able to you know, get away to a quiet place like Jesus did. Uh, but you can with practice have it be a truly fruitful time wherever you are. And then here's the last one. This one was, was taught to me by a couple who sought, who wanted to have solitude in their life but didn't know how, and I think it's fantastic. Uh, we're going to call it trading time. The idea is uh, that if you uh, live with someone, your spouse, your roommate, whatever, uh, that you can, um, you could take over their responsibilities for a time so that they can go practice solitude, and then they, in turn, will take over your responsibilities so that you can practice solitude. So it's a way to kind of work together. It also helps to promote accountability uh, towards it. But again, makes it something accessible, especially if you've got a bunch of kids or grandkids or, or whatever, just people who are kind of taking your time. This can be a really good opportunity to fit it into your, into your day uh, when it works for you. So... I hope, I really do hope, that at this point now, you are not thinking about a long-bearded monk in some sort of stone castle. I really hope that you can picture yourself as one who is capable of at least trying solitude. Solitude takes practice. Don't be surprised if you do it once and you're like, I just thought about nothing, or I fell asleep, right? Like, that's reasonable. It takes practice. It takes time. And as you get a hang of it, though, I really believe you are going to find that contentment is a beautiful, or, or solitude, rather, is a beautiful avenue towards contentment, to be able to slow down, to spend time with the one that you love. There's that old, you know, the old saying, you maybe have it crocheted somewhere in your house, home is where the heart is. Well, solitude is kind of like a way of bringing us home. Jesus said, remain in me as I remain in you. And when we think about our home, our, our spiritual home, let's not think about some sort of, you know, mansion in the sky. Let's think about home being right where you are right now, right in the midst of the pressure cooker and the anxiety that, that surrounds, that might very well surround your life. Because when we are with Christ, we are home. And, when Christ, and Christ is with you everywhere that you go. So home now becomes this sacred space where you don't have to be afraid, and home with Christ can be right here, right now. And solitude is a way of bringing you home. Let's pray. Jesus, you sought solitude. You sought distance from the, the people that you loved. Of course, you didn't stay there. You never run away from anyone. You always returned. You always returned to the ministry and the things that, that your father had put on your heart. And I pray, God, that we can strike up that balance as well. A balance of both fellowship and also solitude. To be able to seek you as the one whom we love and to spend intentional time with to build that love, to build that connection. God, I pray that you stir within our hearts the ability to, to start and to keep with it. I pray, God, that with your spirit, you would meet us in those beautiful, sacred spaces where we tune out what's around us and we can focus on you. Not to empty our minds, but to fill us with you, Jesus. So I pray, God, that, that this would be something that we could exercise for the good of each individual here and every individual that's listening, but also for the good of our church, 
for the good of our families, for the good of our small groups and our communities, God. Help us to seek you with these intentional times to keep our gaze on the things above. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you again for making Rosewood a part of your day. Now go in peace to love and serve the Lord.